I want to introduce to you our guest speaker. Next week, I'll be continuing our series on spiritual disciplines. I'll be preaching next week on fasting. Woo, fasting. Uh, some of you are like, I'm going to skip that Sunday. Uh, <laughs> come to church, all right? I think I have a good word for you on fasting next week here. Uh, but I'm thrilled to introduce our guest speaker, Drew Hyun. Drew is a church planter and pastor at uh, Hope Church Midtown, as well as the founding pastor of the Hope Church New York City uh, family of churches, which is really maybe about eight or nine churches at this point, Drew, uh, throughout uh, New York City. Uh, Drew has spent the last uh, 16 years uh, living, maybe more than that, uh, pastoring in New York. Uh, He loves uh, cities, ESPN, uh, and naps. Uh, and he finds a restful Sabbath when all three come together. Uh, he resides in New York City with his lovely wife, Tina. They have a son named David and uh, a beautiful daughter, Avery. Now, that's Drew's formal bio, but let me give an informal bio here. Uh, Drew served as a pastor of New Life Fellowship Church for 10 years. And... Um, You, you cannot understand New Life Fellowship without the presence and leadership of Drew Hyun. It's impossible. New Life is just over 30 years old. Drew is with us for a third of, that, of our lifespan. And you cannot understand New Life and what New Life is today without the tireless leadership and service that Drew offered for over a decade. And so... Whether through small group ministry, whether through leading retreats, whether through preaching, whether through uh, funerals and weddings, uh, Drew has been all over the place at New Life and has touched so many lives. And this is the first time that he's preaching on a Sunday morning in a decade, in a decade. Now, and he's actually the first person outside of our preaching team to preach on a Sunday since the pandemic started, which is really fitting and I think is really beautiful. And so typically whenever we have a so-called guest speaker that comes and we introduce them, our tradition at New Life is not to go, oh, we have a guest speaker and a little pitter-patter here and I hope it's good and all that stuff there. No, we show gracious hospitality and exuberance whenever we have a guest. And, and Drew is more than a guest. He's a son of this house. He's a brother to us. And so give it up for Drew Hyun as he comes up to preach. It is to be here. Um, I, uh, yeah, in, in a decade, I haven't been back on a Sunday. I've been back for different gatherings, and um, uh, it's just been such an honor. I've been a bit of a weepy mess here in the beginning of the service, um, just worshiping with what feels like family to me. And so whether you like it or not, you have a son who's been running around in Manhattan, and you may have not <laughs> known that I am a son of yours, but this congregation has meant so much to me. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Rich as well as Pastor Jackie and so many of the staff and the elders here and Pete and Jerry and their investment in my life. I would not be where I am without you. And so in many ways, I feel incredibly indebted and so, so grateful and privileged to be here. And so thank you so much for having me. Uh, as we start this message, you know, um, Rich invited me to preach on really just kind of a topic that's been on my heart, and especially with all that we've been through over the past 18 months 
and even onward, and even as we talked about and we prayed today, and that was such a beautiful lament that was sung earlier today. Uh, what do we do when we have no hope? Um, actually, there's a, a fellow by the name of Ray Johnston who actually wrote a book called Hope Quotient a couple of years ago. And in his book, one of the things that he outlines is he starts the book by telling this story about his daughter, who was a college student at the time. And his daughter actually was in this leadership class. And in the class, she was tasked with interviewing the best leader that she knows. And so she thought, the best leader that I know is my dad. Uh, So kind of this amazing privilege and honor for him. And so he starts the story by telling about kind of the the questions that his daughter is going to outline. And the first question that she outlines and she asks him is this. Of all the things that you do, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a leader. But all the things that you do, what is the most important thing that you do? And he thought about it for a moment. And he responded, the most important thing that I do of every kind of task that's before me is to stay encouraged. Now, she was a little shocked by that because she thought, oh, it's to prepare leadership meetings or to to basically be this incredible thought leader or to, to write books or to do all of this other stuff. And he said, no, no, the most important thing that I do as a leader, as a person, as a father, as a husband, the most important thing that I do is to stay encouraged because when I've lost any kind of sense of hope or encouragement, that's when things go downhill. You know what I'm talking about? And we could be in any situation in life. We could be on, at the top of a mountaintop or we could be in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. But when we've lost this thing called hope or encouragement, we've really lost everything. And he goes on in his book to talk about this thing called hope quotient, that really what kind of determines how we exist in this world and in life is basically our level of hopefulness. Now, Viktor Frankl, who's the Austrian survivor of the Holocaust, he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. One of the things that he noticed about those who actually survived the Holocaust, those who had the internal kind of mental furniture as well as the heart fortitude to make it in the most difficult of circumstances, the one thing that they had that was different than the others who who gave up all sense of kind of hopefulness was this thing called hope. Now, what's so interesting is that this past year and a half has been some of the most hopeless moments of my own life and journey. I don't know if you can relate to this. Uh, Back in March of last year, right before the pandemic started, I was actually physically attacked in a parking lot by someone. Uh, After that, you know, of course, the pandemic hits, and there were people that were part of our churches that were getting sick, some who ended up losing their lives, and a lot of loved ones who ended up losing their lives. And of course, we're still in the middle of this pandemic, but there were these awful moments, just the darkness of, of hopelessness. Have you, have you ever been there? Or maybe you've been there over the past 18 months. Later on, the place that we had moved into, there was a violent kind of breaking into the building uh, of our church, and the, the, wall, the windows had all been smashed in, and someone had con- come and climbed in and actually stolen some things from the church building. And you know, it's kind of in the middle of the pandemic that all of this is happening, Uh, Of course, the rise of anti-Asian violence that would happen in our city and around the country and around the world and becoming far more kind of cognizant of that. And there have been times over the past 18 months when I've felt absolutely hopeless. Have you ever been there before? Where you've gotten that news, uh, that medical report of someone that you love and you feel absolutely hopeless? Have you ever been there before where financially or with your job or your career, you're in a place where you're like, oh my goodness, you, you thought you were going to kind of get over the mountain, but instead, you've instead been, been hit with kind of this moment where you've lost your job or financially it looks like things 
are looking very thin. Have you ever been there before? Or maybe you're a Mets fan. <laughs> or, or, a, or a Jets fan. Or, or a fan of any team that your pastor roots for. <laughs> and you're, and you're, you've been absolutely hopeless. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? Chances are, if you're anything like me, we've all been through these seasons where we feel absolutely hopeless. You know what's interesting is that most people, when they think about faith, they think it's like some sort of uh, feel good or it's about wealth and prosperity and things like that. But what's so interesting about the early church is that the Christian faith was always meant not for the times where we're at our highs, which of course, it's there for us in our, in our moments of, of highs, but it's actually written mostly to a people who are in the deepest darkness, the people who have suffered in incredibly difficult circumstances. In fact, uh, to give you kind of a sense of the Christian story, and whether you're new to Christian faith, maybe you're wandered in today and you're kind of discovering this, you know, basically the Christian story was the movement that grew from a, a people that would follow this Jewish carpenter, a Jewish carpenter who was this no name, no repute, no money in the shadow of the big Roman Empire that had all the military strength and muscle. And if you can imagine, this movement that would grow out of Judaism, when Jesus would come on the scene as this no-name carpenter, he would be talking about the kingdom of God. He'd be teaching with great authority. He'd be healing the sick. He'd even raise the dead. Now, this Jesus would have this small bandit of followers that were also these no-name, ordinary people who basically had, like, are these the world changers? If you can imagine in today's world, like the United States and kind of all of its military might, this is kind of like what Rome was. Rome was, was the one with all the strength, with all the power. And it's almost like the movement that would start is like some Christian would, would, would or some, uh, the founder of this movement would start from this no-name place, like Staten Island or something. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, not Staten Island. <laughs> I'm, sorry for any Staten Island people. I love Staten Island, love Staten Island. Uh, or, Maybe I don't. But nonetheless, uh, but you can imagine, it, it's like from this place where people would think, with Nazareth? That's where, who is this person from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? In fact, that's, those are the kinds of words that people would make about this person, Jesus. So if you can imagine, even in today's world, it's almost like the United States. We would think that the world changers, the ones who would start movements that would flip this world upside down, of course, they would come from this country. But it's, it, instead, it's kind of, if you can imagine today, like there's a peasant farmer somehow in like Nepal or something like that, in this small country where somehow a movement would spread that would end up changing the world. That's really what the equivalent of today, of, of what this Christian movement was. Now, what's so extraordinary, if you look in the early church, because Jesus basically resurrects from the grave, and slowly the message of Jesus begins to spread, but it spreads in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. Persecution, not only persecution for myself, but persecution for my family. So people were basically told, if you say Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord, then your family and the people that you love will be killed. Now, I want to show you this chart, though. There's this chart of the early church. Now, look at the statistics of the early Christian church and how it grows in the midst of what's incredibly difficult circumstances. In AD 40, so after Jesus resurrects from the grave, he appears to over 500 people, and estimates are that there's about 1,000 Christians during this time. 
Now, during that time, emperors would get word of this small movement of Christian faith that's growing, and Nero and other emperors would basically be like, ah, who are these people? We'll just snuff them out with our military. We'll just persecute them. But look at what happens just 60 years later, 100 AD. The population, in the midst of intense persecution and pain, would actually grow to 7,000 to 10,000 in 100 AD. Now, one century later, in 200 AD, in the midst of even more intense persecution, people dying for their faith, burning at the stake, under intense persecution. Look at what happens in 200 AD. The estimated Christian population, as this minority group, undergoing intense persecution and suffering, it actually grows to 200,000. Isn't that unbelievable? Now look at what happens. Between 200 AD to 300 AD, there's the Decian persecution, which is known as one of the most vicious persecutions of Christians. And it culminates in 303 AD, there's the great persecution where Christians would again be incredibly persecuted and undergo suffering and trial. But look at what happens. In the midst of the bloodiest kind of century for the Christians, it goes from 200,000 to five to six million. Isn't that unbelievable? And the question I want to ask today is how in the world did this happen? Especially in the most difficult, suffering, painful circumstances, how in the world does this Christian movement not only just survive, but actually thrives and takes off Now, one of the clues, we see this in the early church writings. So, for instance, the apostle Peter, who's a disciple of Jesus, look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he's writing to churches that are suffering in Asia Minor. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Can I hear you say living hope? hope? Yeah, it's not like some limping hope. It's not some kind of dead hope. It's actually alive. It's vital It moves, it flourishes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is given in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God. I love that image. Shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Can I hear you say greatly rejoice? Though now for a little while you may may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he's not minimizing the fact that we suffer. He's saying, I want to tell you about this kind of faith. That even in the midst of difficult circumstances where you might experience grief and loss and lament, I want to tell you about this living hope. This living hope that's available to you and to me. You see, and when Peter is writing to the early church that's suffering, he's basically talking about something that in the midst of the darkest valley, could actually empower the people of God to walk through with this living hope. Now, if you know anything about the story of Peter, you know that his story is just this amazing one as well. Because Peter was this fisherman who was a follower of Jesus, and you probably know basically his highlight reel, what he's most well known for, was basically how he failed miserably. So, for instance, here's the story. If you look in the Gospel of Mark, which is a historical account, it says Jesus is basically, before he dies, he says to to his disciples, you will all fall away 
Jesus told them. He didn't have much faith in his disciples there. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus is basically saying, listen, all of you guys are going to fall away. That doesn't mean he doesn't believe in them because they're still his plan A. Now look at how Peter responds. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Right? Like you can almost see him. Like his, his bravado. And look at what Jesus does. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. You would think that Peter would be like, Lord, really? Like, tell, tell me more. But instead, Peter insisted emphatically to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Right? Like, like he's like arguing with Jesus here. And all the others said the same. Now, a few verses later, check out what happens to Peter. While Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus gets arrested. He's on the way towards his death. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked close at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. All of a sudden, this bravado is lost. He says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing, this fellow is one of them. And look at what happens. Uh, Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Now, isn't this extraordinary? Here's Peter who had been following Jesus for about, you know, for about three years. And, and Peter, in this situation, he's incredibly full of shame. He's weeping bitterly because he's really lost all hope. Now, what's so extraordinary is that this same Peter is the same Peter who would write that later to the letter to the church in Asia Minor, basically saying, we've got this living hope, y'all. We've got it. We got this. Now, what in the world would change for Peter? If you actually look in the book of Acts, there's this moment where check out what happens to Peter. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, who were the disciples of Jesus, this is after the resurrection. Look at what happens. And Peter and John are preaching In the face of persecution and difficulty, they're preaching. And look what happens. They realize that these were unschooled, ordinary men. They're like, these were these people. Like, Like, these aren't world changers. These are unschooled, ordinary people. But they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something happened to Peter that would go from this shame-filled, kind of someone with no hope, someone who wants to give up, someone who's betraying Jesus, to all of a sudden now being an unschooled, ordinary person who's preaching with boldness. In fact, a few verses later, check out what happens. Peter and, and John are thrown into prison, and on their release... Peter and John went back to their own people. So this is being released from prison. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, 
They raise their voices together in prayer to God. Now, this is the prayer of the early church. They pray, now, Lord, consider their threats, the difficulty that we're going through. And please, Lord, help my kids get into the best college that they can get into. Please, Lord, help us to, like, make a lot more money than we're making now and protect our finances. And, Lord, please help us to, for all the people that thought that we were losers in high school, help them to know that we're really great people. Lord, please, like. <laughs> in, the, in the midst of circumstances of difficulty, Please make sure that my kids, especially my grandkids, like they don't ever experience any kind of pain ever. No, that's not the prayers they were praying. Check out what prayers they were praying in the face of persecution, of difficulty. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What in the world happened? All of a sudden, these people who are in, in the face of incredibly difficult circumstances, they are filled with such fire that they would become part of this unstoppable movement. Now, that's why it makes sense. Why would Peter write this to, the letter, to, to churches in Asia Minor. Check out what he writes. 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Can I hear you say living hope again? These people were caught up in something so extraordinary. A living kind of hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there was no turning back. They were filled with such a fire, such a hopefulness, that whatever valley they walked through, they could actually pray for more boldness, more hope, more power. Now, what if I were to tell you that that same hopefulness, that same power was available to you and me today? That the same spirit that breathed life into Peter and the early followers of Jesus, that in the face of persecution, when it feels like, oh, we're just surviving, what if that same power, that same hope was here today for you? That whatever circumstance you've been in, that whatever sorrow you may have experienced, maybe it's dealing with the consequences of your past and you just feel like I've got no hope in my relationships. Maybe you're single and you've been waiting for this relationship and you're just like, I don't know if God will ever break through in this area. Maybe you're a parent who's got all these worries about your children and you just feel utterly hopeless. What if, what if today, what if today God brought you here of all the places that you can be in the world right now or watching right now, what if today was the day that God wanted to tell you this living hope is here for you, for your family, for your relationships, for your future. Now, is it this blind kind of hope that, where do we put this? You know, we, just, we just have it. That's what we do. We just believe it. No, no. Notice, he says, we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
What was the difference between Peter, who was basically full of shame and loss and cowardice and fear, to now this unschooled, ordinary person who's full of gumption and power? What was the difference? Well, basically, it's because the resurrection really happened. It really happened that Jesus really resurrected from the grave. And if he resurrected from the grave, it changes everything. Because now there is no circumstance that is so low, no moment that is so painful, that the resurrection does not speak into life and hope and a living hope. So what do we do when there's no hope? When there's seemingly no hope, there's always resurrection on the other side. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's always resurrection on the other side. always resurrection on the other side. Maybe today you've walked in and you felt a little bit hopeless. Again, whatever situation or station it might be, with all that's happening in the world, we might think this is such a crazy time in the world. But see, don't you see suffering and trial has always existed. And what the Christian faith is for, it's in these moments that this living hope can shine through. And today is the day that you can stay encouraged, that you can believe, even when it feels like everything is hopeless, that God is going to come through. And I once heard Andy Stanley give this illustration, and uh, it's an illustration of when he was visiting uh, the Roman Colosseum in Rome. Uh, If you've ever been to Rome before, or if you've ever seen pictures like I have, uh, there are The Colosseum is this incredible edifice that was built uh, in the first century, and it was a place where gladiatorial games were held, where all of the the great conquests of these Roman emperors would be reenacted in the Colosseum. It'd be a place where deadly battles would, would occur, and it was the place where, again, these Roman emperors in the largest amphitheater that was built during that time and today exists as one of the largest The Roman Colosseum that today, if you were to visit, is just this stunning place. In many ways, the Roman Colosseum was the place that of all the places depicted the power and the triumph of Rome and the power and the triumph of the emperor, it was the Roman Colosseum. In fact, this was the place where in some of those persecutions, as some of these deadly battles would be be reenacted, this was the place where Christians were persecuted and put to death even. So if you can imagine, here in the Roman Colosseum is this enormous structure basically signaling just how powerful Rome is. Because of course, Rome was the superpower. It's the one that had all the money, all the wealth, all the military strength. You know what's interesting is if you were to actually visit the Roman Colosseum today, of course, this is what it's, it looks like. There's, it's still, uh, half of it still exists. And it's a really stunning thing to behold. But upon entry into the Roman Colosseum, this is actually what you'd see.
It's a cross. Today, there is a cross. It stands in the middle of the Colosseum. See, the Roman Empire would rise and fall through the years. The empire that people believed would never fall because of how powerful it is, how strong their military is. And today, today, is a cross middle of the Colosseum. Throughout centuries, there have been names that have been elevated, the names of Caesars, of Augustus, of Decius, the names of nations and states, the names of athletes and celebrities. And yet there's one name that is above all names. It's the name of Jesus. And friends, today, there is a cross that stands in the middle of the Colosseum. And so whatever situation you might find yourself in today, whatever worries you might have financially, whatever feelings of darkness, even though you've been fighting it, Maybe it's an addiction or an addiction of someone that you love. Maybe it's the struggles of someone that you love. Maybe it's this feeling of depression that you've been under. I want you to know that today, there's a cross it stands in the middle of the Colosseum. That empires might rise and fall, that wars might break out, that pandemics may come and go, but there was something that animated the early church, this living hope that existed, that even death itself they would not fear, that they would have this living hope, living hope. And if you need to look somewhere, Today, here's what I want you to know. There is a cross in the middle. It's a Colosseum. Let's all stand. Father in heaven, over the earth and the sky and everything in it, the God of the universe, the creator God, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who, with a breath, created the entire universe, and the one who resurrects Jesus from the grave. That same spirit is here and available to every one of us. I pray for any one of us today, God, we might turn to this living hope, that we might truly believe this living hope is for us and that whatever impossible 
hopeless circumstance we might find ourselves in today, that today we might remember there is a cross in the middle of the Colosseum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. Every Sunday when we gather together, we are refocusing our attention on the cross and on the resurrection. And I don't know about you, but Monday through Saturday, it's very easy to fix my attention on everything that's wrong in the world. The positivity rates that seem to be going up what's happening all around the world and its pain. And on one level, we are to be fully aware of the trouble that's taking place in our world. But then there's a line that we cross where we're not just aware of the trouble. We are now immersed in the trouble in such a way where all we see is hopelessness. When we gather together on Sundays, our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus. So that when Monday comes and Tuesday comes, we're able to see the troubles and the problems of the world, not just through the narrative of the cable news, but through the story of this resurrection, that Jesus Christ is alive, that he's making all things new, and that we have a living hope in his name. One of the ways that we live into that living hope and receive the hope is by prayer for one another. And we have our prayer team here to my left. And maybe you came into church today and you are just discouraged. You're looking at your marriage. You're looking at what's happening in your workplace. You're looking at what's happening in our world. And you're just so discouraged. And you just need someone to speak a word of hope over you. Uh, I'd love for you when I close out our service here to come and receive prayer from one of our prayer leaders here. We love to pray for you and lift you up before the Lord and infuse in you through prayer this living hope to keep you grounded this week. At the end of our service, we have a sermon discussion time as well. For those of you online, uh, feel free to click on that link for about 30 minutes or so. One of our pastors will, will lead you in a time of discussion and maybe even prayer. Uh, if you're feeling that you just need someone to pray for you. And so we'd love to connect with you online as well. And for those of you in this room and watching online, every single week we give an opportunity for you to, to say yes to Jesus Christ. I imagine some of you maybe have said yes to a church service, yes to clicking on a link, but you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to this living hope, and consequently you've been living without hope. But today... You can live with a living hope by saying yes to Jesus Christ. And so whether you come to the to prayer, whether you text yes to Jesus to that number that's on the screen and one of our pastors can follow up with you, if you're sensing something bubbling up inside of your soul that you're longing for hope, let Jesus give you the hope that you need and say yes to him. Before I bless you here as we close our gathering, I'm going to be outside, and Drew will be with me outside in the front. And so for some of you that haven't seen Drew in a while, please stop by and say hello. And for those of you that are meeting Drew for the first time as well, uh, please uh, come outside before you head out and, um, and say hello. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hand towards heaven to receive a blessing. 
Every single week we close our gatherings with this posture of receiving because it's out of receiving that we offer to the world. And, and we end with blessing because the world is filled with so much cursing and so much polarization and there's so much animosity. We end our gathering with blessing to be reminded that we have been blessed by God to offer blessing to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit with a living hope deep down in your soul. And may you offer that hope to a hopeless world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the hopeful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. Thank you.